Today our guest on the podcast is Todd Campbell. Todd and I came to know each other around 12 years ago. He's once a colleague and, and now I consider him a good friend of mine. Todd is sometimes referred to as an onion because there are many layers to him as a person and he's not one to give too much away. He's a modest fella and he really doesn't like to talk about himself. He's really more interested in others. I mentioned to Todd some weeks ago that we're recording a podcast series on recovery and after listening to them himself and a discussion with me, Todd and I decided his story would be worthwhile recording for our listeners and he decided he would go over his story and be quite open about this. So Todd, thanks very much for joining the podcast. It's great to have you. Todd, would you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners and, and telling them a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure, Chris. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so I grew up in Maitland, in the Hunter Valley, a relatively standard sort of life for, for the time back in, back in Maitland. Went to school locally, off to Maitland High School in the early to mid-90s. Played all sports. All of my family were, were local in Maitland as well and had been for quite a few generations. So I had a pretty standard upbringing up there in the Hunter Valley. I guess as I got through my later years in high school and whatnot and to my later teens, sport was my chosen path. I wanted to be, like a lot of kids back in those days, a professional cricketer. So all of my spare time was spent in that realm of trying to be a superstar cricketer. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out that way. But Well, Todd, um, um, just, just let me pause you there. I understand that, well, we won't, we won't refer to you as a superstar, but you did sort of reach um, a fairly high level as a cricketer, I understand you captain New South Wales. I believe you played overseas as well and, and also won some grand finals as a captain up there in Newcastle. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that, that, that's all true. So, yeah, I was, I was very lucky as a junior to captain New South Wales at underage team level and, and high, combined high schools and those sort of things. And at that stage, my cricket journey was progressing along the way that I had planned for it to progress along. Yeah, so I, I did lots of that stuff. Played overseas in England and Wales and even a stint in New Zealand as a, as a young guy. So, yeah, that was all going along very well. Actually, a funny story on that. I actually left high school and got into university to do PE teaching, but that only lasted 24 hours because on the first day, they told me that after my four-year university degree, I'd be posted to regional New South Wales and I thought, wow, well, you can't play test cricket if you've posted a broken hill. So <laughs> I deferred uni for a year and never went back. Yeah, so, right. So I never made it back to uni after that first day. So, yeah, so that, that was my early life as a, as a cricketer, Chris. That was literally everything. So I suppose I'm one of those people that, you know, wanted to make it, did make it a fair way, but never really made it to, you know, the level that I wanted to, to make it at. I, I did do all of the things to try and get me there. I mean, I missed all of the parties. I didn't go to much of the social scene as a 18 or 19 year old because I was always trying to play or, or train for cricket. So but I did you, put it all in one basket, I guess. Sure. But you did have an opportunity to um, be exposed to some of the, the best uh, in the world at that time, I believe. You played against some some of the, the greats potentially or some of the elite at that time. Uh, yeah. New South Wales cricket back in the mid 90s was exceptionally strong. So you know, in the underage scene, the, the guys hanging around my sort of age group were 
yeah, some of the superstars in the making and your, your Gilchrist and your Brett Lees and whatnot. And, you know, we got to, to train with the senior squads from time to time and at the SCG and, you know, we played at Adelaide Oval and a few other places. So, yeah, look, it was a, it was a great thing as, as a youngster. And then I, I went on to play a lot of Newcastle first grade stuff. And as you said, we, we won half a dozen or so grand finals in that period. So cricket was a massive part of my life, I guess, uh, yeah. until, up until I sort of stopped when I was about 30. And so you captained your, your team through through the grand finals to, to win all of those grand finals, is that right? Yeah, look, I, I was pretty much captain of cricket teams for as long as I can remember. I, I captained New South Wales in the 17s and I was captain of the first grade sides that won, won the comps up here in Newcastle. So yeah, there's something that I really enjoyed doing back then about taking on responsibility and, and trying to get the best out of others, I guess. So that's something that's stayed with me really from a, a very young age yeah i guess the, the people that know you really well know that you're a you're a doer and an organizer many would consider you captain of our group of mates as well that sort of lives on i suppose that captaincy experience it's hard, it's hard to um get away from it now so yeah. when, when someone wants something organized they seem to get the phone call to say oh you know you, you do it because they know that i'll, I'll get fully into it and organize every detail and make sure everything's ticked off, I guess. So that's um, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how, how it rolls sometimes. Um, look, yeah, you've, you've organized more than one trip um, that I've been a part of and it's always been organized down to the, the last minute and everything's um, come off just as planned. So it's obviously become your life role. Look, tell us, tell us about your, your career and yeah, what you've done for work. Yeah, sure. So, I suppose, as I mentioned earlier, I, I gave away my PE teaching degree and left uni because I realised that I, I, I couldn't play cricket at a higher level from being out in the bush. So, it, so I took a job in insurance in Newcastle. And the reason I did that was it was Monday to Friday, nine to five. You could play cricket on the weekends. You could go to all the training sessions. You didn't seem to miss anything. And the organisation I was working for also had sort of current first class cricketers working for them. So that all seemed to be too easy just to take that role. And ironically, as I was trying to move forward in, in my cricketing journey, I seemed to get a lot more corporate opportunity than what I got cricket opportunity. So right. um, I, I kept climbing the ladder at work really quickly, whereas my cricket started a flatline. So whilst my passion, my first passion was certainly sport, up and up the corporate ladder, I seemed to climb with, with less passion. But in, but in saying that, I still obviously worked very hard and, and was very keen to understand and do my best at work. But I just had a lot of opportunity to keep progressing uh, in the insurance world. So, yeah, I, I, I stayed in that industry for a, a long period of time. So uh, I was in that you know, insurance world for over 20 years. And you progressed quite quickly at a, from a young age. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I did. And, and upon reflection, I probably took some roles that were a little bit beyond me for my years. So a state manager by the time I was 27, I think it was, with hundreds of staff and hundreds of million dollars of premium, uh, looking after yeah, lots of people, lots of businesses in the insurance world. And, and I suppose most people thought that I had everything together because I was quite young and was on the corporate ladder yeah you can't sort of fluke it um with those roles that's for sure so you must must have had some very strong attributes there as a as a leader and i guess as a communicator as well 
I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about you um, in you know in your family life and understand that you um, you work closely with your wife and you're also involved in in some charity work and and in your spare time you organize some um, some bike trips with your mates T- tell us a bit more about your family and, and what have you my beautiful wife Anna and my two boys Billy and Jack so uh, when Billy was born which is nearly eight um, Anna started her own business um, specializing in pediatric rehabilitation so um, recovery for, for children that have either a rare condition or or a diagnosed condition. So I I sort of fell into helping Anna out um, just from time to time. And I'm sure we'll talk about this as we, as we go through the podcast, but but what I've learned from kids that have an illness and their families, I I learned so much perspective from that. And and that really helped me with my medical condition, which we'll talk about soon as well. So I learned so much and continue to learn so much from those kids. And they, they really, inspire me in, in talking about stuff that men don't talk about really which is you know what's going on in their own lives so i've got so much in the last seven years so much um, perspective so much knowledge so much love for the, for the kids that that we sort of help on their recovery journey so one, once i got involved in that then i sort of worked out that a lot of these kids aren't, aren't funded so some are uh, ndis funded some aren't so the, the ones that aren't that they don't get the wheelchair or they don't get the opportunity to do go to school or to it could be anything so i just wanted to help them so i just looked at them and i thought i can't just let this go so i got involved in um, some charity work and trying to raise raise as much money as i could for for others that were less fortunate than me and i've got to say it, the purpose of helping someone else is the best thing that you can do, the, 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 grat- the gratification and satisfaction you get from helping someone else, and that could be a complete stranger, or it could be someone you know, is far better than looking after yourself, in my opinion. So I've just got so much uh, joy out of doing that, and I, I really love it. It beats money or beats um, yeah, a, high, a high-powered position in the, in the corporate world, for you anyway. Oh, 100%. 100%. So <laughs> I probably would say, Chris, that in my earlier years and trying to be an elite cricketer, um, you have to be selfish. You have to do everything for your dream and to get you forward. But as you get older and you start to gain perspective on other people's lives and other people's problems, you just, well, for me, I just get so much joy out of seeing someone else smile. Just, yeah, I love it. So, yeah, that's that's what I like to do. It's, I consider it more important than holding a you know, a corporate job where you're in meetings day after day worrying about corporate real estate or the price of rent per mm. square metre. That's, you know, was interesting at the time and I really loved it and I obviously gave it my all, but I'd rather have more practical assistance these days of helping someone in need. And your, and your charity involvement or your charity work hasn't just been sort of fleeting sort of or for a fleeting moment you've actually been involved now i believe for a number of years and yeah i've watched you experience some some great moments in your life being involved in that and attended some of the events associated with that as well and yeah i know you're really dedicated to that um i guess another part of you as well whatever you do you do um you do well and you stick with it you've also um been heavily involved in triathlon over the years as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? I've been running around the place. And I, look, let's let's be honest, I'm, I'm a mid-pack finisher. Um, I do try my best, but I have some limitations to my endurance career, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon with mm. my medical condition. So 
I got involved after I finished playing cricket, really, as a let me show you sort of moment when doctors were telling me that I, that I couldn't do endurance exercise and I couldn't take things forward. And mm. I sort of got involved as a, I don't want to be a statistic. I, I want to see how far I can push myself and, and see what I can do. And long distance triathlon seemed to be the hardest thing that you could do. So I thought I'll give that a shot. And <clears> I've been doing it on and off with, you know, for over a decade now. And so you've finished how many full Ironmans? I finished six full Ironmans and maybe about 20 half Ironmans over the, that journey. So, yeah, it's been a hard slog, but, you know, it's, it's a really um, enjoyable feeling to finish a long-distance event, like the, the training that goes into it. Most of the time I've got one of my training buddies with me and we, we do the training and the event together and getting to that end goal and finishing, it's, it's quite a thrill. It's, it's quite... It's quite a great thing to achieve. Yeah, definitely. And yet, once again, you're modest too because I've seen some of your finishing times and been in some of those races with you and I know exactly where you finish and it's it's not middle of the pack. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> But let's not go into that too much. Um, let's let the cat out of the bag. In, in, in 2008, you're, you're overseas um, on a trip and, and something happened to you. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so I suppose thinking back to 2008, so you know, for your listeners, so I've just turned 30. I'm running a state organisation for insurance. Everyone looks at me as like I've got, I've got my stuff in order. I'm a corporate insurance executive. I've got hundreds of staff. I'm paid very well. But underneath, I'm really stressed. I've just gone through a period of making people redundant. It's the first time I've ever had to do it. And a lot of those people were my good friends and I'm under pressure. So I go overseas uh, for a holiday and I know that I'm not well because I, I can't sleep and I'm stressed and I've, I've got a few skin issues and a few little things, but nothing that I had uh, any sort of awareness of. And then one day, basically, bang, I collapse and I, I collapse um, with a condition and basically it's, it's called a thyroid storm where what were you doing thyroid, when you collapsed i was literally in a lift coming down stairs in, mm. in a hotel and felt unwell and then i woke up and i had people over, over the top of me Gosh. basically saying call an ambulance this guy's unresponsive so yeah so i just collapsed so my body just packed it in um, with a with a thyroid storm, which I had no idea at the time, and, and nor did anyone else, by the way. So nobody realised what was wrong with me. I was in a foreign country, so uh, the medical tests were sort of they were a bit sceptical because in those days, um, you know, Medicare doesn't cover you overseas. Um, I didn't have travel insurance, so there was a lot of oh, let's not touch him. Let's just make sure that his vitals are fine. So I had to wait seven days until I got back to Australia to undergo all of the tests. So that's seven days. I literally was just in the fetal position in a hotel for a week. And I finally got a flight back home and, and then started on the merry-go-round of just being sent to doctor after doctor to work out what had happened. And it, it took um, the medical fraternity a couple of weeks to work out what it was. And yeah, so I had the thyroid storm and it turned out uh, through an endocrinologist that I had a condition called Graves' disease. Right. And so what's, what is Graves' disease? Tell us about that. Well, I knew absolutely nothing of it. It's got a mm. terrible name. 
It's Graves sure is, does. Graves named after a surgeon, not not a grave, but That's so it's right. an immune disorder. So basically, it's 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 a condition where your body attacks itself. So there's a, a butterfly shaped gland in your throat, which is called the thyroid. So a lot of people would have heard of the thyroid gland. And what happens is it starts to overproduce thyroid hormones. So it sends your body into all of these wide ranging sort of issues. So could be anything from, from skin issues to being sick, but your body malfunctions is the way I describe it to people and your immune system is heavily compromised. So that's what happened. And once you have it, it's a lifelong condition. So you never get over it. So once your thyroid goes on this journey of overproducing its hormones, you, you can never uh, change that. So it's, it's not a cancer, but the treatment for it is radiation. So I had to have a few bouts of radiation back there in, in 2008 to try and get the condition under control. Yeah, right. And, and you sort of explained that as um, a killing off part of the, the thyroid. Is that right? Yeah, it kills it. It kills it. <laughs> so I don't have a thyroid gland anymore. It hasn't been cut out, but it's been radiated out. So I don't have one. So I have to be on hormone replacement tablets for the rest of my life. And I started mm-hmm. that back when I was back in 2008. So I've been on them now for um yeah 13 years or so so um yeah so the cause of the, of the thyroid condition is is sort of unknown but stress is a known reason so I, I have no doubt in my mind that whilst people thought i had everything together and i was flying along and you know smashing through life there was lots of um stress underneath the surface and i, I think you know when i look back at it i, I look at the times I had and all the things I had to do for work and whatnot, my body just packed it in. So mm. um, sounds devastating. Um, so I guess everyone responds uh, differently to a diagnosis and there's some common, I guess, symptoms or signs. What's the diagnosis meant for you personally? What, what health effects has it had on you? Well, one of the things I, I did want to sort of go through today was when I first was diagnosed, it, it was like, the whole my whole world had caved in so i was 30 and that sort of told me oh well you know you, you lost pretty much over you. you can you can no longer exercise there's no way you can run or you can't ride your bike or um you basically have to sit down and and control your whole body for the rest of your life and i thought wow that's interesting and i didn't want to be i didn't want to be that sort of person so i, I really wanted to see what i what i could do to manage myself so really Chris it was through trial and error to work out exactly how far I could push myself um, but I also had to change lots of things in my life so you know when you have radiation for example your liver's compromised so when your liver's compromised alcohol it has a massive effect on your body so I stopped drinking not that I was a big drinker anyway but I literally stopped drinking overnight I said no I don't need that my liver needs doesn't need any more alcohol in it. So we'll stop doing that. I, I need to change my life in terms of the, the stress that I was under. So I had to, you know, walk away from various things in my life to, to get myself away from that toxic environment from a work perspective on a, on a few issues. So I had to, had to do all that stuff. I had to change my diet. So I had to make sure that I was eating the right food. So my body wasn't, you know, uh, fighting all the time. It was happy to get some some good food inside so there was lots of things i had to do to try and manage it initially 
I understand that you you sort of found your own way with working out what was the right sort of diet for you and what foods agreed with you and what didn't. Is is that right? Oh, absolutely. You have to self responsibility after you get diagnosed with a medical medical condition. In my mind, is really priority number one. I mean, you can Google it, but most of the clickbait is bad news from Google. So if you mm. Google Graves' disease, you'll see some terrible stories. Mm. Um, so you really need to, you know, take responsibility on yourself. So yeah, it was trial and error. So I went through certain foods that I used to love. I could no longer eat because the next day I'd be sick. So I got rid of it. So it was it was settling on what worked for me in my recovery. So uh, there's lots of, you know, I'm not going to go through my diet, but there was lots of things that I worked out that I could eat to make myself optimal. So yeah, I, I just kept doing that and refining it. And I'm still refining it now, 13 years later. Yeah, I remember you saying to me, like, if you have a, you know, a beer or two, it, it's, it's just um, you feel so bad the next day that it's like having the, the worst hangover, even having that small amount of alcohol. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. So, so mm. when I had the treatment back then, yeah, I was told about how my liver would take a while to recover. And everyone, most people know that alcohol is processed through your liver. So um, even now, yeah, um, sort of two beers is sort of my limit, as you would know, Chris, from mm. trips away. That's um, right. So I, I'm, I can't do any more, not because I'm, uh, I don't want to or I'm trying to be you know, not social or whatnot. It's just that I know that the next day I can't process it and I'll be unwell. And in order to, you know, keep going on, I've got responsibilities as a, as a dad and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't want to be laying in bed all day. So I just manage it as best I can to make sure that I can get through tomorrow. Sure. And we've, we've joked a little bit about you um, when we've been away cycling and what have you that um, can eat your body weight in chocolate or ice cream or lollies in each day. What, what's with that? Oh, that, that's not entirely true. I suppose one of the things with... Graves' disease is, is fatigue is a, is a big symptom. So it's a so, sort of a silent killer. So you can have 12 hours sleep and then get to midday the next day and be absolutely shattered as in you just want to go back to bed. So those sort of sugary foods give me a bit of a hit um, just to get through the day, really. I try and use them sparingly. There are some days that are not as good as others, but I, there's, a, there's a reason for that sort of um, sugary hit just to get through the day. It's not... It's not because I'm addicted to it, but it's, I'm trying to get manage the fatigue, I guess. Yes, and I, I guess in your defence too, um, when I've seen you doing that, it's been after you know 100 k's of cycling or thereabouts in a day. So um, yeah, you've yeah. probably earned it in some way with this um, with this condition. How have you managed to really sort of perform in work and and also in sport? You've sort of taken on a fairly grueling sport, and you you're still um, you're still active work wise. What have you done to sort of manage the condition? Well, oh, there's lots of things I've done. We talked about changing my diet, changing my, my mindset and changing some of the stresses that I had in my life. But I, I guess I, I sort of tried to say to myself, I don't want to be a statistic. So these days, look, I think it happens a lot. As soon as something goes wrong in someone's life, they get a prescription and, and that masks the problem that doesn't fix it. So you got to take those, make those changes, I guess. So I just really wanted to um, see how far I could go, Chris. I, I just wanted to see, well, okay, if I've got the self-discipline and I can change all of these things, maybe I'll be surprised about what I can do. So 
rather than accepting a doctor's opinion to say what I can't do, I, I sort of thought, well, that's just your opinion. I'll see what I can do. And ironically, after spending 20 odd years in insurance, you get to quickly understand that one doctor's opinion it is not actually 100% correct all of the time. And it just infuriates me how a lot of people, if one doctor says something, that's it. And, and they won't think that that is just an opinion. They'll just accept it and, you know, curl up their toes and, and not do anything about it. So I just wanted to, um, yeah, make sure that just because one person had said something that is not necessarily the end of it. So I, I sought out lots of research papers I, I sought out looking into what other people have done and what I can do and just had a crack, I guess. Yeah, so you focused on what you could do rather than, I guess, the um, the things you couldn't and, and just um, in a calculated way went about tri- trialling these things and, and, and learnt as, as you went along. Is that right? Absolutely. I, yeah. I think I would say, like, don't declare defeat. As soon as something goes wrong and someone says, oh, you've got X condition and your recovery is Y, don't declare defeat at that. So, of, of course, there's some things that are worse than others, but I, I just told myself the truth, and the truth was I need to stop doing certain things in my life. I need to change a few things, and, and then I, I don't want to be you know, someone average. I want to do those things, make the changes, and then move on. So mm. that's, the way I can, that's the way I looked at it, and that's the way I looked at most things in my life, mate. So whether it was cricket or, or the corporate world or illness, it was just don't declare defeat. Be truthful. What is it you need to change? Go and change it and have a crack. And sometimes it won't work, but but sometimes it will work. And sometimes you'd be very surprised about what you can do. So that's the way I I sort of wanted to approach it. And, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, great. Thank you. Todd, after you you fell sort of unwell and you had that that storm, uh, you you obviously came back to, to, to Newcastle. And you're working, um, you're working in insurance at the time, and you're sort of in a, a sort of a high level position. Did did people sort of know what was going on with you at that time? No, um, I kept everything to myself, so I didn't tell anyone. In mm. fact, I told one person at my work, who was my immediate boss, and basically said, "If you tell anyone, your life won't be worth living." So right. I, I I kept it from everyone. I, I kept it from all of my cricket mates. I kept it from most of my family, only because so I, I was 30. I grew up in the Hunter Valley mm. and we're talking 2008 when, you know, men's mental health or, or physical health wasn't talked about. It was one of those, you know, just get on with it. So, and I thought I'm 30 and my own body's packed it in. I feel like a failure. I felt like I was a massive failure. So I didn't want to go out and publicize that you know, my body couldn't handle the stress it was under. So I didn't tell anyone. So I kept everything to myself. I, I didn't talk to anyone about it. So were you, were you, were you potentially sort of embarrassed or ashamed? Oh. What, like, why did, why did you keep it to yourself and only mention to just, you know, a few people? Absolutely, Chris, I was embarrassed. So I probably thought I was indestructible at that age and was still playing at a relatively high level of, of cricket and was, yeah, manager of a pretty high level of insurance. So I didn't mm. want people to know that that I had a weak spot and then my body had sort of packed it in. So I was ashamed of it. Yeah, I was embarrassed about it. Um, but I was also sceptical of talking about it because 
I was worried about what people might do. So I was thinking, well, if the next level of corporate opportunity comes up and my boss knows that I've got this autoimmune disorder, I may miss out on that job, um, which, which is probably a naive thing to, to say, but that's what I thought at the time. I thought I might miss out on opportunity uh, if, if I tell people about this. And I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for myself because I'd got myself into that position. So I had to get myself out of it. So I didn't want to tell anyone about it. Now, whether that's right or wrong, it's probably wrong. But at that stage, as a 30-year-old man growing up from Maitland, I just decided, no, nah, this is my issue. I'll just deal with it by myself. And I guess you, you sort of, um, you're protecting your, your identity and your status in doing so. Um, 100%, yeah. Yeah, look, well, well, why why is it today that you've decided to tell your story? I mean, I, I introduced you by saying you learned a bit about our podcast and listening to the stories of others, but you know, you've decided that you would like to tell your story. I haven't I haven't sort of coerced you into doing so. Mind you, I've reminded you that the, the <laughs> podcast is up and running. But yeah, why have you decided to tell your story today? Well, you know, I've told your, I told my story to you privately and, and mm. you, know, you seem very interested. I've told a few of my really close mates and my wife my story and, and you know, they seem to be really interested and a few people have said to me, man, there could be someone out there that's got the same thing that you had or is going through something and your journey of recovery is a positive one. So we should talk about that. So, you know, it's been 13 years since I first was diagnosed. And if I can help one person that listens to this or, or there's someone out there that's got Graves' disease or any autoimmune disorder or, or any disorder for that matter, if I can help that person, then I sort of feel like it's a responsibility to help others now. So hopefully it's to help someone else rather than you know reflect on what happened to me. I want it to help someone else. But also I, I've got so much perspective these days. Um, on on recovery so you know being around some kids with serious illnesses way more serious than what i've got it just frustrates me that there's so many people out there that are, that are self-indulged in their own world and they, they forget everyone's got their own struggles so hopefully if, if, if i can talk through you know what i did to make myself well and um, on my journey to recovery hopefully by sharing that it might give people some perspective that you know, people would look at me and say, well, he's got nothing wrong with him. Well, yeah, I do. And I, I have had now for 13 years. So if I can sort of get through it, maybe they can get through whatever they're going through. So mm. they might help, might help somebody else. So that's they're the main reasons, mate, that I'm having a chat to you about it. Yeah, thank you. So like from a non-medical perspective, of course, neither, neither one of us are, are doctors. What would you say, uh, I guess, the key lessons that you've learned through your through your uh, your your journey with this condition, um, some key lessons. So, I think I, I would say first and foremost that everyone recovers so differently. So, even if it's exactly the same medical condition, I think there's an individual mode of recovery. So, I would really encourage people to think about that that, that everyone's different and their recovery is different. So, keep that in mind. The other thing I would say. Chris, is that mindset is everything. So obviously there's some medical conditions that are terminal that you can't recover from, but most aren't. And it, the easiest thing to do is to give up. It's hard to say, no, I'm going to be different. I'm going to, I'm going to follow 
the journey I think I can do. I'm not going to be a statistic and I'm going to fight it. So getting into that right mindset is everything. And I, I think that's where people like you and, and your organisation sort of comes in because you've got people that can talk to someone that's ill around their mindset and, and encourage them to think about what it is that's wrong with them, what it is they need to do to try and fix the problem and to move forward rather than just get caught up in the, oh, woe is me, I've got X condition. What about changing your mindset to work through what you can do to fix the condition? So that's what I would say would be. And the last thing I would sort of pop in there would be uh, talk about it. I know that we've talked about this. I never did. And I, I do regret that. Uh, I didn't tell anyone. So I think by talking about it, you'll get to learn um, different perspectives and, and different modes of, of recovery. So, yeah, maybe by talking about it with people will improve your chances as well. Mike, I guess those, those key points there are valuable not only to people potentially with the condition or something like yours, but also for, I guess, clinicians who are, who are working with people with illnesses or injuries. Um, they're all applicable uh, lessons. Oh, I, think, I think absolutely. And the mental recovery is sometimes as big, if not bigger, than the physical recovery. So that's really important to, to remember that. But for me, it was, you know, someone said to me, oh, it's a lifelong condition. You'll be on hormone replacement therapy and you're only 30. You'll struggle to cope with everything. And my response was, okay, it's lifelong, but that's not terminal. I haven't got a terminal illness. I'm not in a wheelchair. So I'm just going to fight through that. So if, if a clinician can have that positive reinforcement with somebody, I think it can change their entire recovery journey. And it's really important to not forget that, that positive mindset when talking to someone that's ill. Fantastic. Todd, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and so open uh, with your story today. I've really enjoyed, I guess, preparing for this podcast with you, learning more about you. Like I said, it's not, not easy to, um, to get information out of, out of someone like yourself, but you've, you've finally um, decided to open up and really share your story with, with others. And that's really appreciated. And like I said, I, I'm sure at some point down, down the track when someone listens to this story, someone that neither one of us knows, um, you'll have helped them. And um, we, we, we just want to thank you on behalf of Malcolm and myself for being a part of this today. Thanks so much, Todd. Thank you, Chris.